Elite Physique University, your source for all things physique enhancement. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Elite Physique University. I'm John Gorman, your host. We've got Jason Theobald in the house. What's up, man? How's your Thursday? Uh, it's not too bad. Um, weather's been awesome here. Training's been going good. Business is good. Really can't complain. No, man. It's, uh, you know, we're dropping these every two weeks. We're recording every two weeks now at this point. And uh, the weather's changing rapidly. I know you're a fair weather guy like I am at this point. We both hate, both hate the fucking cold. So it's, uh, it's beautiful out. What's, what's, uh, what's new with you, man? Catch us up. Um, let's see. Um, 13 weeks out from San Antonio Pro. Um, so that's kind of cool ramping things up. All I'm doing right now is walking more, moving more and eating more. That's it. I don't even, I'm not even being that judicious about food. I think I ate like three freaking Yazo bars yesterday. Um, but when I start moving like that, my metabolism just goes crazy. So all I care about right now is just ramping calories up, getting fuller looking. I doubt I'll gain much fat. And, um, around August one, I'll start tapering carbs a bit and then go from there. So that's going to be the official start of your prep sometime around end of July, early August. Basically, like I'm already cleaning things up. Like I pulled coffee creamer, yeah. um, just full thing, few things like that. Less, less fats when I go out. I don't put cheese on things anymore. I mean, it's very mild little tweaks, but, you know, with the moving and, and then ramping up carbs, it all has an effect for me these days. Um, have, you, have you dropped it all doing any of that? Or are you saying well, that I know my morning weight really hasn't seemed to drop. Um, it's gone up a little bit, but when I went to crunch today and weighed myself and I hadn't been there since April, I was 196, uh, then in the evening or like around 2 PM. And today I was 191. So that tells me I probably am dropping, but like morning weight has gone up. I don't really know, but I look leaner. Um, right now all I care about is the metabolism, you know, setting the prep up, getting metabolism revved up eight weeks will be plenty for me. Um, I, do less, have, I was going to say probably less bloat, man. If, if you're five pounds down in the evening, you know what I mean? You cleaned your food less up. Bloat, I'm, like I'm walking more, so I'm processing it better, even though I'm hungry. Yeah. So it's really nice. It's nice to be hungry again and want my food. Yeah. Um, I just get so sedentary in the winter, man. That's another reason I hate winter. You know, yeah. I just, I just hibernate and, and it sucks. Um, my next hormone part two class, I did the first one, had think about, 16 attendees everyone seemed to really like it um the next one is july 12th which is a monday at 7 p.m i think um but it's on my stories it's also on my main feed and my instagram um so that's coming up again i am taking one more mentee um basically how i run that is you meet with me once a week via zoom for an hour um I like people that already kind of have some clients um, and just need help, like really refining themselves. Uh, We can go anything from, you know, just going over difficult cases that you have to questions that you want to ask me. I can also lecture if you want PCOS or something like that. Um, And we run that. I ask for a three month commitment. If you're interested in it, Jason at ScoobyPrep.com. Lastly, I did the label write-up for liposomal L-carnitine today. So I'm excited about that. That usually means when I get asked to do that by, by my uh, CEO that we have about two weeks. 
So I'm hoping that's when it'll, it'll drop about two weeks. Don't quote me on that, but that's around what I'm thinking. So I'm excited for that. I think that's going to be a big product for those who don't want to inject, but they also want to bypass the digestive tract kind of eating it up. So yeah, man, there's a lot of cool things going on. Um, I could keep rambling, but I think those are the major ones. Yeah, that's good. Um, you guys always know you can check your show notes because I'm going to have both of our emails there. But if you want to talk to Jason about any of that stuff, the mentee program, um, or if you want to check out the new supplements, I'd say that that's probably going to be out by the time this drops because we've got about a two week lag. So hopefully that'll be out and um, just check the show notes for either way that you want to contact me or Jason. Um, with me, man, I think it's probably safe to go ahead and tell people now Um Man, I almost have my gym sold. My final gym sold. Um, Jason Wells is the one buying it. We almost had it sold during COVID last year. Literally, we were five days away and they shut everything down. And I just told him, and, and he agreed. I was like, you know what, man? You probably don't need to buy a gym right now that's about to be shut down for a few months and you're starting off in the hole. So I held on to it. And dude, it was this huge cascade shitstorm of the SBA being behind. I mean, everybody understands like everything's behind and we're still feeling the effects of that. So finally, you know, even in, you know, January one, we thought we might have the gym done. It's taken another six months just to get it done. And someday we'll tell that story. Uh, we, you know, we have a lot of good feedback on our behind the scenes business episodes. Maybe we'll do one on what it's like to own a gym and sell a gym now that I've done it with two. Uh, maybe we have Jeff Black on to kind of add his, or maybe we do it on Excellence Cartel on your other podcast, but people kind of like that. I think all meatheads, you know, all of us have always wanted to own our own gym or know what it's like. And I, I think it'd be fun to do an episode on that, but that's pretty much it for me, man. And that shit's kicking my ass because it's always last second jump through hoops. You need this, this, and this, and it's always shit that you don't have ready. So especially when it comes to SBA and IRS and all that stuff. So uh, other than that, man, um, let's go ahead and get into this. This is going to be a fun episode. It's ask us anything. If you guys ever want to send questions in, go to the show notes, click my email, send them there. You can, you can send us questions on Instagram too, but email is always best because I can just compile everything there. It looks like we've got one, two, three, four, five really good questions. One's a long one. I'll probably save that for last. Um, and if it gets to be too long, we might bust this up into two parts, but Jason, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Um, what are your thoughts? What are our thoughts on using step counts for tracking activity during a diet? You know, this was something that I asked you about. I said, Hey, is there anything that you want to talk about that's been going on? You said, yeah, I've, I've, I've been kind of dabbling with this and using this and I've got some experience with it as well. So what are your thoughts on using that man? Like, and I guess the question that people need to understand is what are your thoughts on using it, tracking it for like a diet? You know, some people are like, well, I don't count my cardio. I just count steps. But what's your whole take on the whole thing? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll be a first to admit, um, sometimes when it comes to prep and, you know, certain aspects, I, I, I'm slow to change. Um, I'm quick to change some things and slow to adopt other things. This was one of those things that was slow for me to adopt. But I've watched a few clients, one of them being Jeff Black, just kind of walk 20 to you know 15 to 20 minutes after almost every meal and get moving and getting the steps up to 15 17 20,000 a day and we really haven't touched his diet for about nine weeks and the dude's just getting peeled and he's staying fuller his refeeds are bigger his hrv is improved his glucose numbers are improved so i've been dabbling with it myself and you know the one of the ways to kind of 
you know, really figure out how you're going to attack it with the clients and work on it with yourself. Right. And so I've been trying to get about 10,000 to 11,000 a day and kind of see how much time commitment that is for me. And it's been about 45, 50 minutes of extra walking, including what I do just during my day around the gym and, you know, to run errands. So I think it's so far a nice way to get people moving control for uh, like when people start to get hungry, they want to lay around more. And so although they're getting their cardio in, they're technically moving less. So this is one of those things that kind of keeps them moving in a prep in a diet phase uh, because they got to get that, that number in. They can't just do their cardio and then lay around all day. So I like it for that reason. I also like it for the improved HRV, the improved insulin sensitivity that it's providing mm-hmm. And so I started it now, like with my prep, I'm just kind of trying to walk. It's not perfect. I'm not walking after every meal. Like I just ate and I had to sit down for this podcast, but I'll probably go walk for 20, 30 minutes when we're done. Um, I've already walked 15 minutes a day after one meal. And then I walked after the gym. So that was before my next meal. Um, But yeah, it's allowed me to ramp my food up. So I can only imagine once I hit prep and I'm still getting my 10 to 11,000, then what I'm going to do is just say, all right, well, this week I need to hit 12. This week I need to hit 14, 16 and move it on up as I need to go. I'm going to play with it. I got a few clients now doing it and um, it seems to work really well and they seem to like it. So all in all, um, I fully admit I'm not the first one to uh, the field here. Uh, I know other people have talked about it, but um, I have played with it now and I do like it. Yeah. I know a good friend of mine, you know him as well, Pete Fitchin. He's one of our coaches for fat muscle. He's an excellent, he's been on the podcast, excellent diet coach. Clients are always peeled. He uses that as a, as a measuring tool, actually. Um, and he tracks step counts with a lot of people. And he's really enjoyed that over the past few years. Um, I've been very slow to adopt it, still haven't adopted it. Um, and I'm like you, man, I really like what you said. What's the best way to implement it? You do it with yourself and you kind of figure it out. Um, I just haven't done it because to me, I have a hard time seeing clients at mass, you know, mass scale, everybody tracking their steps. But for those that want to do it, I can definitely see it. And I like what you said about insulin sensitivity and people don't realize that, you know, when you do walk a little bit after a meal, it does help you process food. It does help, you know, improve your insulin sensitivity. A lot of people don't realize that. But what I think a lot of people are going to hear that are new to, to hearing this is they're like, well, if a little bit's great, more is better. You're not talking about walking at a 130 heart rate. You're talking about just going for a stroll, letting the food break down and process. And people, you're not hoofing it. You don't have your headphones in and like at 120, 130 heart rate. And I think people need to understand this is different than steady state cardio. Yeah, I'm not really using it as a miss. Um, I, I don't know what my heart rate is, but I am, you know, half the time I got my dog with me, she stops, you know, she pees. It's not constant. It's not super fast. She's got a bad knee. Um, I do go on my own sometimes and I keep a pace, but I don't, I, I, because of years of soccer though, um, it's really hard for me on a walk to get over hundred yeah. beats per minute anyways. Um, you know, I can do hit cardio, what a lot of people think is hit and, you know, I'll still be at 140 really fighting to get into those one fifties and sixties. Um, so, you know, for someone else, it might be about 110 beats per minute. For me, it's probably 90, 95. Yeah. My fat ass would probably be 110 or more, but you know where I could see, and I'm being serious, where I could see this really helping people. It's not so much about calories in calories out. In my mind, I can see someone like me that is just 
right now, stress is so high. If I could do that two, three times a day and disconnect, put my headphones in, listen to a podcast, get the fuck away from my computer and my phone. I don't, I don't have a dog, but just go out and walk and enjoy the nice weather outside. I mean, you talk about Jeff's HRV improving. I mean, what's this doing for mood? Like when you go do this, you probably feel great walking your dog. You step away. Like you feel good, right? I feel good. I feel good. I can eat more. My digestion's better. Um, I even think I'm sleeping a little better probably because of getting all the sun and I walk around dusk usually. And so that helps with your circadian rhythm as well. Um, so I'm gonna keep doing it right into all, right into August one, ramping my food up, um, keep playing with it, keep monitoring steps, and just kind of see, um, you know, how long it takes to kind of get in these these steps on top of your daily walking. You know, so I kind of have an idea about how much extra cardio it really is a day. Yeah, on average. I like it, man. Um, this next one's a tough question. I didn't know the fucking answer to this. And um, someone asked me the other day and I said, you know what? We're going to put this on the podcast and I hope this is one Jason can answer because this to me is, is a tough one. If a female is on birth control and guys, if you're listening, don't fucking run because this is a birth control question. Like you need to know this if you have clients. If a female is on birth control and doesn't have a cycle, how do you know what ranges to look at for progesterone and estrogen? Because you know, if, if you guys go back and listen to the hormone breakdown, we've done multiple podcasts on how to read labs and things like that. You know, if you go 19 to 21 days after your first day of your cycle, it's a luteal phase, like all these things that we've talked about. But if someone doesn't have a cycle, how do you know where to read, you know, the female hormones like progesterone and estrogen? How, how do you know? You don't. But here's the thing. It don't matter. When you're on birth control, you're low progesterone, estrogen dominant anyways. That's gotcha. what it does. That, that's what it does. Remember, it's designed to lower progesterone so you don't ovulate. So by bottoming out progesterone, um, you don't ovulate, can't get pregnant, and now you're relatively estrogen dominant. So it doesn't matter. Um, take the readings and um, just roll with it. And, you know, you're going to see 0.2s, 0.3s, 0.4s, 0.5s, things like that on birth control right. for the progesterone. Uh, so- Estradiol is usually a little bit down to um, – but yeah, I don't really look at a range. If someone's on birth control and they come to me and they want help and, you know, they want to get off it or they want to get healthy, we have a discussion. If they want to get off it, I always take labs first. So I have an idea what I'm dealing with while on the exogenous hormones. And then we go from there. But there's really no way to know what place to read it. And it really doesn't matter because it's going to be low anyways. Yeah, th- this girl's estrogen was a little on the higher side. Her progesterone was obviously a little bit lower. It was like 222, uh, which I don't know. If that's not necessarily depending on the cycle and the ranges you read. It was like 222. And, and when this girl asked me this, I said, you know, I just, I, I don't know. Her estradiol was 220? Yeah, that, yeah. And so I looked at that and she's on HRT. Her testosterone was 97. So on a, you know, 42 is the high. So I thought about that. I thought, well, maybe there's a little bit of conversion going on there, but you know, it's just one of those things where it starts to get tricky. You know, how high is too high if, if someone's on birth control and no you know, cycle? Two twenty estradiol is not bad. Like I like a hundred to two hundred roughly. You know, uh, but two twenty is fine. Um, but you know, because she's on birth control, her progesterone is probably going to be point eight, point nine, point two. So she's going to be relatively estrogen dominant. Um, you know that by taking a thousand times the progesterone and dividing by the estradiol. And right. if they're under a hundred, um, they're relatively estrogen dominant. Um, the lower they are towards zero, the worse, the worst case it is. Um, so 
I don't worry about a phase when they're on it. I just get the lab. So I have a baseline of what it's doing to them. Yeah, definitely a tough question for those of us that don't know. So I knew if anyone knew it would be you. Um, Let's go ahead and go move on to the next question. Is there a general range that you guys like to recommend for men and women for salt intake? And, and I know sometimes it sucks to have a question where you have to give a general range because there's always people that fall outside the ranges, right? Like there's going to be people with, you know, blood pressure issues that need to be lower salt intake. And there's people that are on keto that definitely need to be higher salt intake. But if you can just give someone a general range, Jason, what do you like to recommend for your folks? And, and I know you and I are pretty much probably going to be the exact same on this because um, we both learned and I learned from you as well. What's your ranges for women? What's your ranges for guys? Just a generic range, if you will. God, it varies for everyone. Um, but up, upwards of six grams for men. I've even seen eight um, needed. Um, just stay full and, and hydrated. Um, upwards of four grams for most females will work. Um, this doesn't have to be exact, um, but those are around what, what, what we're talking about in order to get nice pumps, nice fullness in the gym, um, things like that. Yeah. I I'm right there with you for for folks that are training like athletes, you know, five, six yeah. days, they're working out real hard. If someone's gen pop, they're training three, four days a week. Um, you know, I like to tell them probably for, for females, make sure you get in two grams, um, uh, for guys, make sure you get in three to four. They, these are the minimums that I tell people, uh, but I don't like them to go high outside those ranges that you recommended. So that that's kind of my ranges for women, two to four grams. Um, you know, guys, three to three to six, generally three to five, something like that. Um, but you know, things that affect salt intake are, are definitely, you know, if you're a sweater, if you're working outside, you're working a hard job and you've got to really pound water, well, you need to also pound salt. Your salt's got to be higher. Um, so, and that's things that people just don't understand. A lot of people increase their water when they sweat a lot, they don't increase their salt and they just sit there and they pee like crazy and the water doesn't stick to them as well and get inside the cell like we want. So remember the more water you drink, the your salt intake needs to coincide with that. And a lot of people don't get it. So if you're somebody drinking two gallons of water a day, your salt intake probably needs to be on those higher ranges that Jason kind of mentioned. Um, you know, back in the day when, when you and I first kind of started out, you were real big on recommending sea salt. You know, I still stick to that. I tell my yeah. females, grab an eighth teaspoon of, of sea salt at every meal minimum. Um, and then use some seasonings on your food, feel fine. Like guys, I'll tell them a quarter teaspoon of sea salt, add some seasoning. And that's just gives them a way to track it without having to track the exact number. And that usually gets them right around their ranges. Is there anything else that you recommend to people as far as salt? No, men's normally a quarter to a half teaspoon. I think one full teaspoon of sea salt is about a gram. Um, so, you know, if you're hitting that on, usually not every meal is accommodating with salt. I mean, you can throw it in your mouth, but you know, right. somewhere around there is going to get them in that four to six range for men and, you know, an eighth to a quarter for women um, per meal, plus all the other food, plus all the other condiments kind of rant lands them in that range. Yeah. You know, if someone's still cramping or feeling off or, you know, anything of those lines, we can always try to bump it. Yeah. Speaking of cramps, this next question is, is a good one. It's a little on the, uh, the assisted side, if you will. Um, with PEDS. I'm having major cramping issues when I use Clen. Salt and potassium don't seem to help and I'm very hydrated. Is there a fix? So this is one that um, I ran into years and years ago and had clients 
you know, having this issue and salt, potassium, even magnesium didn't seem to help. And I noticed the one thing that would help would take about, you know, a thousand to 2000 megs of, uh, of taurine right before, right before they trained. Cause I had a guy one time, he's getting ready for shows in 2013. I'll never forget this. <laughs> he sent me an update picture and one of his chest muscles was clenched. Like he was doing a, a crap. He was just standing there. It was clenched. Like he was doing a most muscular pose <laughs> and the other side was normal. He goes, dude, I can't get this to stop happening. And then one time I had it happen to someone's abs and they yeah, literally I've had the abs. Yeah. yeah. Um, taurine has been the only thing I've been able to get help, um, to help with something like that. You know, these days I don't really have clients that are using it, but what, do you have any experience with that or how to fix yes, it? But it's taurine. It, the answer is taurine. It, it yeah. fixes clan cramps every time. Yeah. Um, I usually do about two to three grams, um, somewhere around there. And, uh, it usually fixes it right up. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that was just the craziest shit I ever saw. You know, this, this mm -hmm. one, one chest muscle just clenched yep. up. Um, I don't know, man, I just don't have clients really using that anymore. So I haven't had to deal with that for a while, but we definitely got it in as a question. Um, anything else you want to touch on with that before? Uh, no, I think we covered that one. That one's pretty easy. You just take your taurine. Yep. Um, all right, man. So here's, here's the one that's, see, we talked about birth control. We talked about salt, we talked about Clint. All right. So here's the last question. And this, this is a big one. We could probably do this as a podcast by itself. I'm really struggling after competing for my first time and I don't look at food or myself the same way anymore. What advice do you have for those of us who struggle? And is this super common? And you know, this is something you and I talked about in an email the other day, different things that we've been kind of dealing with. Well, we, you and I deal with this every single year and we have since we've started. Um, this is kind of, it, it, this doesn't have to just be for females, by the way, this is something that guys definitely go through. Um, Jason, I feel like you might be a little bit different, but let's start with you. Let's start with your experience with this. Um, did you struggle after your first time competing? Like when your body started to gain fat and go back, um, did you, cause I know you're a little different. You see things more clearly than most. Um, I believe I didn't struggle, but I did have, you know, the first time post-show eats, you know, where I just felt like I was entitled and so, you know, I remember one time we went to, I was with my girlfriend at the time. We went to, I can't remember whose house it was, but they had M&Ms out in a dish and I ate the whole damn dish. And I mean, it was like a full bag of M&Ms. I was like one day, I think it was like a Sunday after my show. Um, and, you know, no one, I didn't love seeing, you know, my abs get a little more puffy and lose separation or you're the lower back. Um, but I don't think it ever crippled me like I've seen it crippled some of my clients you know it wasn't like I didn't want to go socialize or go out and you know I think for us men it's a little easier because you know we have more muscles so our shoulders still say step rate it and you right. still keep the veins in our arms so you know we're a little fluffier but it's not the same and we like to be bigger anyways and fill out our t-shirts so I think for men it certainly can happen but I think it happens more with women and you know I always say um you know, we were talking about on the other podcast I'm on the TC and, you know, you're never going to look at food the same and you're never going to look at your body the same. Um, if you thought you were in good shape before that good shape could totally feel like out of shape to you. Um, and food, 
even though there really is no good or bad food, it's going to be, it's going to be like that. You know, it's going to be like, I shouldn't have this, but I can do this. I shouldn't have this, but I can do this. Um, so yes, I mean, I'm not, um, you know, a person that didn't have any issues. I think everyone does. Uh, I just didn't have them to the extent that I think I see with, with our females. I was able to be like, okay, well, I'm stronger. I'm bigger. I'm filling out my shirts. Let's just gain muscle and I'll worry about the little bit of belly fat later. Um, but I didn't love it. And I always did look at myself differently um, in terms of feeling fluffy and chubby when I, in reality, I'm not. Yeah. It, I didn't really struggle too much with, with body image or anything like that because of the reasons you said, like we want to get a little bigger and fuller and we feel better and the gym is great, you know, after you get out of prep. Um, but man, I fucking struggle with food. If I, that's why I haven't competed in like 11 years now. I actually struggle really bad. If I just diet hard for 12 weeks, I still have a small rebound afterwards to where I just want to eat, not give a shit. And I crave the feeling of being hungry and full and I still struggle with it. Now it's not to the point where I'm going to go drop 30 pounds and gain 30 right back. Like it's nothing like that. I just mentally struggle to where I can't keep it in that middle zone. And that's kind of why I just stay where I do. Um, but I will tell you for females, especially the females I work with, I definitely see it hit them hard because they go from being very, very lean, you know, especially if they do things like figure women's physique and the, you know, the categories where they get really lean, um, you know, then they go back and they get back to a healthy off season body fat set point. And yeah, they're going to have cellulite on their legs. Like most women, I'm sorry, but you're going to have some kind of fat on your legs. Most girls in the off season it may not be a ton of cellulite, but you can have a little bit, or you're just going to have more fat and it's not going to look as good as it did. And you've been posting all these pictures on social where you look just super, super lean. And then you're right. Shoulders aren't separated and they don't, you know, some women, especially natural women, they don't always look like their female competitive athletes, physique athletes in the off season, um, like an assisted female will. So it's also one of those things to where they're starting to compare themselves to others. But I definitely see a big, uh, a big difference too, when it comes to natural versus versus enhanced. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with that big swing back, man, that, that we talk about all the time where we see females, they get their hormones crushed naturally, and they get this big swing back the other way. You know, body fat overshooting is a very real thing. People don't realize when you're done with a diet, we talked about this on the reverse dieting episode that you and I did. When you diet down, your body is primed to store fat and it can actually, you can gain more fat on a rebound than you were fatter to start with. You know, you'll end up fatter if you're not careful and body fat overshooting is a very, very real thing. So it's definitely common. I guess the only thing that I can say to give advice to people is the more you do it, and I'm not saying you should diet more because that's not always the answer, but the more you live this kind of lifestyle, the more you just kind of see food as fuel and you don't see it as, as something to be infatuated with. And I don't know about you and your clients, but me, when I was new and my clients, when they first start, you're kind of infatuated with food. Like you're infatuated with this whole lifestyle because it's new, but it's infatuation to the point where it really can kind of fuck you up. Um, do you see that with your clients as well? A lot of your new folks that are younger, do you see them become infatuated with, you know, trying to be super full when they're hungry or, you know, do you see that infatuation? Yeah. I mean, 
I do. Um, I don't have a ton of young ones. Um, you know, I had a female um, girl that was 17, do bikini. And I didn't, you know, I pushed her hard, but not to the point where we were going to have, you know, issues coming off the diet and hormonal issues. And I wanted to still be fun for her. Um, and, you know, I warned her. Um, I gave all the warnings about, you know, this is, you're going to feel entitled once that sugar hits your lips, blah, 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 blah. And she still put on 11 pounds within two days, you know, um, and it could have been worse, but, um, I just, I warned you, like you, you gotta get back. You gotta get that taste out. You gotta get back on. But I think it was just wanting to feel full, um, you know, and, and having that first bit, but I have a lot of like higher level competitors. And so it doesn't seem most of them get right back on, you know, I give them instructions on what to do which is usually uh, a free meal Saturday night. Don't eat like an asshole. Get some pancakes Sunday morning. Mix in some good meals. Maybe go out to dinner with your family and then let's get back to business on Monday. I mean, if you live this lifestyle, you live the lifestyle. I mean, you know, if you want to look good, get back to it. Um, but, you know, I was just going to add with females and the body image, one of the biggest things I see with my clients is they love to buy clothes when they're little. Love it. You know, I'm a size two. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy that. And they buy this whole wardrobe and it's not realistic. And then they start not being able to fit into it. And then the depression sets in. Well, I can't get into those shorts. I can't get into this. I can't get into my work outfits. And it's like, no one told you to buy, you know, thousand dollars worth of clothes when you were 30 pounds down. Yeah. That's not realistic. Like, you know, you're going to have to have two outfits, uh, your, your off season outfits and your, your, you know, I'm close to stage ready. These come out every once in a while, but then they start thinking that those were going to be like the outfits they were always gonna be able to wear. And they felt so cute and tiny and it's just not a reality. And then that depression kicks in because they can't wear that outfit. It's like, no, buy a few things. If you want, that's fine. I'm not saying not, but you got to remember, you're not going to stay in those clothes. Yeah. Um, you got to have the sixes and the fours or the, whatever size you regularly are. That's where you need to have your main wardrobe not trying to battle these size twos and size zeros every time you go to put shorts on and, and jeans on. Um, that, that seems to result into a lot of, a lot of panic, a lot of tears um, and a lot of crying. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime you compete, you just don't look at your body the same. And that's one of those things that you got to kind of know um, going into it and understand because it, it's, it can be a real mental fuck. Yeah. And the other thing too is, you know, some people this will affect them even if they don't compete. So you know, I have a decent amount of gym pop clients that they just need to lose like 30, 40 pounds just to look and feel good and be healthy and maybe get to, you know, 15, 20% body fat, right? Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe a guy just wants to look about like I do, and that's his end goal. But there can still be that super restriction with food that needs to get you there. Because here's the thing, like we're all eating like bodybuilders, whether you compete or not, this is all bodybuilding. It's all physique enhancement. We're all eating about the same. So there's going to be restriction there and you've got to give that up. And for a lot of people, it causes that mental rebound. So even if you're getting on stage or not, you've got to be aware of it. And I think it comes down to kind of what you said. You want to fucking look good, have a little bit of food and then get back on the plan because this is ultimately what it takes. And not everybody's cut out for this and definitely not everybody's cut out for competitive bodybuilding. As you like to say, there's bodybuilding, competitive bodybuilding. If you're a competitive bodybuilder, you better adopt this. And if you can't hang and if you, it causes you too much mental stress and anguish, there's other things to go do. You're not a failure if you decide to quit competing because guess what? I don't fucking compete anymore. I've been pretty decently successful in the fitness industry. 
I just know that it's not for me. Like it causes me too much mental anguish and grief. I just don't do it. So don't feel like you're a failure. You just need to recognize it. You know, self-awareness is a big deal. Um, anything else you want to say on that, man, before we wrap it up? Last thing. Um, if you find it's really affecting your happiness, uh, yeah. go get counseling, you know, like your coach can only help so much. You know, I, I try to help, but I've never experienced it to the point where I'm in my closet in tears, you know, and I see right. that with some of my clients. Like if, if you're literally, if it's literally impacting your day where you don't want to socialize, you want to rush home, you want to just lay around, you don't want to get out of bed, go seek help. There are people who literally can help in this aspect of things, body image, eating, disordered eating, all that. Just go talk to someone. Um, let your coach know what's up, but like it's not their job to fix you on this because we're just not uh, schooled in doing so. Yeah, definitely not. That's, that's a good way to end it, man. I think empathy is a very important thing. Um, there's nothing wrong with you if you're experiencing these things. You just need to understand it for what it is. And I think, you know, with our experience, that's about the best that we could do. Um, man, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. It's nice out. It doesn't get dark till nine o'clock. I think I'm gonna go on a fucking walk. Now, now you got me wanting to do these walks. Yeah. I don't think I'm gonna count my steps, but I think I might just go ahead and do 10 minute walks a few times a day and just get out. Yeah, hit them after you eat, see what you see. Well, my fat ass is always eating, so I'll be walking all day. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Good talking to you. We'll be back in a couple right, of weeks dude. for myself and Jason. We're out of here. Thanks, guys. Yeah.